Hey everyone, I'm Eamon Elswa and this is Getting Into InfoSec. My guest this week is InfoSec John. He has a website dedicated to helping those get into InfoSec. He talks about his youth. The big part of my story when I was younger is I had no direction and I had people pulling me in different directions. But he always had the drive to help people and be helpful. There was something that just drew me into wanting to protect and help people. I volunteered when I was a teenager at uh, old folks' homes and, you know, did dinners, you know, made dinners and stuff and then would sit down and talk to them. And I just like being nice to people and helping people out. John also shares his struggles trying to get in, both professionally. The guy told me, like, literally looked at my resume. He's like, you have nothing here that tells me security. Like, you need to work a security job to get a security job with me. And personally. My wife ended up enlisting her to take the pressure off of me from earning the single income so that I could go to school full time and really focus on personal growth. All right, on to the show. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Really honored to be on here. Well, I really appreciate taking the time to come onto the show. So, you know, I, I uh, found your website by accident as I'm stumbling through the internet doing research for guest research. And uh, I found your website. I really like what you have on there. And for folks listening, well, maybe you could talk about your website a little bit. All right, we can start with that. So last year, I registered the domain name infosecjohn.com. I didn't really know what I was going to do with it to start. A coworker of mine got me kind of introduced to the hacking scene. Infosec Twitter is where I kind of started out. And uh, at first, it was just like a journal, a learn to hack journal. You know, hey, my colleague exploded today. (laughs) Have to rebuild it again. Mm Mm-hmm you know, stuff like that. And then I started seeing people questioning about career-related questions like, you know, should I apply for a job if I don't feel I meet the experience? And I wrote a little bit about that. And it just kind of grew and took a life of its own a little bit. And now I'm trying to be more organized and, and write more professionally, more detailed articles and make better content. Tell us a little about yourself and your role in security today. Well, a long time ago, I was like many people out there, a teenager who had no direction and didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I worked for my father a little bit in a computer store and I tinkered a little bit with 486 machines that were broken. I just took apart and put together Pentium Pro machines and Packard Bells and Compact Braceros. And, you know, I was like, wow, people get paid to like install Windows or upgrade to Windows ME and stuff like that. And I was intrigued. But when I got out of high school, well, I dropped out of community college because the program really didn't meet my needs. What were you enrolled in? Well, I was enrolled in a management program in community college, which isn't really what I wanted to do. And I guess that's a big part of my story when I was younger is I had no direction and I had people pulling me in different directions. So I ended up enlisting. I really wanted to do IT for the Navy, Mm -hmm. but had to wait. There was a wait list of a year because they, you know, only have so many people doing school classes. Hmm. And so I was like, oh, well, what's available right now? You know, which is never yeah. a good story when you're enlisting. Right. Um, and they're like, well, we have this IC position and uh, OS and 
I was like, well, what's technical? I want to do something technical. And they're like, well, I see is communications electrician. He'll be working on phones and TVs. I'm like, that sounds fun. So <laughs> I did that. <laughs> I get to boot camp, I go through that and I get to my A school and I was top three, I think, in my A school class. And they're like, hey, you know, you're doing really good with this. We're going to give you a C school. So, And what's a C school? A C school is uh, advanced training. Okay. Usually, well, I was told if you're top of the class, you get a C school, you know, but mm. usually when you're in the fleet for a little bit, they'll send you back for training and it's like kind of a bonus because you get like a job category that is highly needed for the Navy or something like that. I see. <laughs> but my C school ended up being uh, console maintenance. So I get there and they're like, yeah, you're going to be in the engine room and you're going to be controlling the consoles. And I was like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> this really isn't TVs and phones. Like, that's really what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. So I get through that. You know, I was that was fun. There's only four students in the class. So it was really easy. Then I get to the ship and I realize for the first time, I'm going to be working in engineering. Ah, I say. <laughs> engineering, for people who don't know what it's like, there's, you know, the nine to five Navy, we call topsiders. <laughs> and, you know, then there's the engineers where I think most of my time I was doing 12 hour days, 10 hour days when we were in port. And then on my second deployment, which was the worst. Hmm. I was working 20 hour days oh, wow. because engineers do six and six watches. And then in between watches, I was unlucky enough to, I was a, what they call work center supervisor, which is you're in charge of doing maintenance assignments and stuff. Okay. So I did that in between my two watches. And then when I got off watch, I did paperwork and passed out <laughs> Oh boy! for nine months. It was crazy. It was great because I learned to be quick on my feet dealing with all sorts of crazy situations. Like my first week on the ship, there were engine men that were working on the engine and we had to work on a sensor inside of it. And uh, I'm in there with uh, a senior sailor and he's showing me how to do everything. Where inside the engine, they drained it out to do their maintenance. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so we're in there working on our sensor inside and all of a sudden, <laughs> the engine pistons start turning while we're inside of there. And I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, get out now. Wow. <laughs> and wow. yeah, so <laughs> we're in port. And the pistons are like as big as cars, right? On those engines, we're talking two stories where the engines were two stories, 16 cylinders. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we were working on one of the cylinders about like a six foot a six foot person could fit inside of the cylinder spot. Wow. So they're pretty big. And, you know, if, if they got you, they would crush you to death. Yeah, of course. <laughs> wow. And it just happened to be that the person who they have this tag system and the person who took their tag off for their maintenance took our tag off also and turned it on <laughs> wow. while we were inside of it. So I learned to be, uh, uh, keep my head on a swivel and be adaptable to situations. And then another aspect of being an electrician in engineering is there's always the, hey, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. <laughs> you know, it's electrical. No, it's mechanical. Mm. <laughs> so um, I learned to figure out systems that I was working with by reading tech manuals and tinkering around with them. So I learned, you know, not only just the electronics of it, but I had to learn the pneumatics, mechanics, hydraulics, 
how engines and boilers and you know all that kind of stuff works so it was it was pretty cool being exposed to all that kind of technology and everything did it help your thought process to think like an engineer definitely definitely the biggest skill that i got was being able to figure things out quickly and troubleshooting and i believe in the you can't troubleshoot something until you really understand how it works mm-hmm. because if you don't know what a normal situation is then you're not going to be able to get it back restore it to that you know right so that's the training that I got and that was my mentality and my attitude okay and you know for an undisciplined kid who had no direction it was unfortunately what I feel that I needed <laughs> so, okay um, were you always interested in technology or when was your first itch in technology um, probably when I took apart my first computer. And when was that? I want to say... Or not when, but which computer was that? It was when I was early teens. It was one of those, I think it was a 286 machine that broke. It was one of the first ones I did. And, you know, I didn't know anything about how they worked on the inside. And I opened up the case and I was just amazed. Like, there's all these little pieces and parts that you know, work together and produce a video on the screen, right? Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to learn as much as I could. And what made you open it? Well, I was working at my dad's computer store and it was a slow day. He had me working on the sales floor, helping customers when they walked in because I was computer literate as a lot of people are when, you know, teenagers, they can help out older people because <laughs> we grew up with the technology. Right. So it's not new to us. But it was a slow day, so I went in the back room and the technician was fixing or trying to fix this machine. And he's like, hey, why don't you take it open and try it out? So, you know, I unscrewed the screws and I was just amazed at how everything worked together. And that's kind of, that's probably the earliest time that I fell in love with like the inner workings of how things work. And, you know, that kind of sparked pretty much my whole path, but I still didn't have the discipline and and the direction to pursue it Mm. i still kind of just did what people told me to do which was perfect attitude for the military but Mm. i didn't really start down this path until i was in my mid-20s okay so in the military did you get a chance to work directly with computers yeah there was one computer system that they put on and nobody could figure out Uh, (laughs) it took readings from all of our sensors that went to the console but it's put it out in a computer screen instead of the old analog console that I was in charge of. So so you're still in the engine room, right? Still in the engine room. Okay. And they're like, well, you're the console tech, so you just take care of that. And I'm like, well, why don't the ITs take care of it? And they're like, no, 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 you do it. <laughs> it's an engineering system. You do it. Okay. So, you know, once again, they threw it at me and I was like, okay. It was just a simple, there was one server, four workstations, one in each of our control rooms. And there were also PDAs that the engine men, when they took their rounds, you know, what's the pressure, what's the temperature, you know, is the fuel tank getting low, like that kind of stuff. They manually would take readings that the sensors didn't spit into it. Mm -hmm. And it was really simple, really easy, but they kept breaking the PDAs because they didn't like using them because they were very resistant to technology. Oh. You know, no offense to anybody, but there are some real knuckle draggers in engineering. And they broke them on purpose? Yeah, like really? actually caught someone throwing them down a ladder well. <laughs> wow. Like it was three stories to go from the main deck down into the engineering space. And I was leaving and I saw a guy at the top drop his PDA. 
like on purpose. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I hate that damn thing. I can't figure it out. <laughs> wow. Okay. Alrighty. Yeah. <laughs> they, they'd rather use paper logs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. So, so you're able to solve the problem, I'm assuming, on the server? Yeah, I was able to figure out. I thought it was really cool. And I kind of decided then that that's what I wanted to do. Okay. Because, you know, every once in a while, the computer would go down and I'd have to figure out, okay, what's going on? A big problem was they had to overheat a lot because, you know, we're in a hot engine space mm. and somebody didn't think maybe we should put extra cooling in this computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so we'd have like the CPU you know, burnt out once and the hard drive burnt out another time, you know, like simple stuff like that. Yeah. So you became the go-to person for computer yeah. stuff. Right? Oh yeah. I was able to figure it out and everyone's like, Hey, good job. You know? Nice. Okay. So after the military, what was the next step in your career towards InfraSec? Well, when I was getting out, my girlfriend at the time, my future wife, she was the first person to actually sit me down and say, what do you want to do with your life? <laughs> and sounds like a movie moment. <laughs> yeah, like seriously. And I didn't know, like, I wanted to get a job making money and go to school using my benefits from the military. So when I got out, I became a fire alarm technician and I was planning on enrolling in a local school, the community college, just to try out college. I was still really intimidated about going to school, mm-hmm. but I knew nothing about you know, the IT industry or anything like that. Right. But then as a fire alarm technician, I was able to work with some cool gadgets and, you know, fire alarm sensors and smoke detectors, heat sensors and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I kind of liked what I did. So it held me back a little bit from pursuing my dream. And I was really intimidated by school. So Mm. I had a lot of fun doing that job. But my wife ended up enlisting herself to take the pressure off of me from earning the single income Oh wow! so that I could go to school full time and really focus on personal growth, Mm -hmm. which is absolutely outstanding. Like, uh, you know, it's probably the single most self-sacrificing thing anybody has ever done for me. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm very, very grateful to her for doing that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we ended up getting stationed in Navy town and I went to what I call a party school, one of those traditional colleges. Wow. Because uh, it was a big school around there. And, you know, everyone was talking about the parties and the clubs. And I hated the school. It was an IT management program. And I was ready to give up on it. And a buddy of mine said, hey, look, there's this other school. It's not as well known. It's a tech school. But what they do is, you know, they get you a job when you graduate. And it's an accelerated program. I ended up finishing my degree in two years and some change. Nice. But I sat down with a career counselor at the school and he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to work with technology. I want to help people. And he's like, well, we have this degree program in network security. Mm. They had a game design degree in network security and a mobile app development program. Now, is this a vocational school or what type of school is this? They call themselves a university of technology, but they're... But like what kind of school for those out there looking for a similar type of school, what would they look for? So one thing that attracted me to the school 100% was they advertised hands-on labs. Mm. And in every single one of my classes, like for instance, in the Microsoft Windows class, we used VMware, we built a desktop, we built 
a server, then we use DC promo on the second server Mm -hmm. to connect them and create a DC. And then the final lap of that first class was to connect the virtual workstation through the DCs to the teacher's computer. Oh, okay. Which was really cool. Yeah. And then like in my networking class, we had to create a, you know, we worked in teams, but we had to create a network in the class from scratch. Mm -hmm. Nice. And then in like my Unix class, I don't know why they call it Unix, but we used a Red Hat and basically did the same thing with virtual Red Hat machines and connected to the teacher's machine. You know, the final lab was, hey, can you get to Google? <laughs> yeah. And that was, you know, if you got to Google, you got 100 on the lab and that was it. But the teachers there were very helpful. They would stay after hours and in the Unix class. I struggled a lot because I had never even heard of that before I went to school. Mm. I never heard of PowerShell before I took my PowerShell class. I didn't know any of this. And, you know, I'm surrounded by a bunch of kids, you know, teenagers, 19, 20, 21, going to school, going to college for the first time. And I was much older and I was like, you know, how do you kids know about this stuff? Mm. You know, how much older, you know, about approximately? I started going to this school when I was in my late 20s. I'm in my mid 30s right now. Okay. So it's been a while, but. uh, (laughs) Okay. And you would recommend it for those of any age, I would say, that want to shift in? Yeah, definitely. Going to a traditional school, being more mature was a negative because you're surrounded by a bunch of kids who just want to have fun Mm. and get their degree at the same time. Mm -hmm. Going to a vocational school or trade school I don't know, at least at my school, it seemed like my maturity attracted the kids to me and people wanted to partner with me because I was more disciplined. I was more focused on getting the project done instead of like just hanging out. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. So you graduated from the vocational school or the trade school. Mm -hmm. And then how was it now? Did you start applying for jobs right away? Did you start before you graduated? Well, I actually, when I finished my associate degree, there was like an internship program. They guarantee that they try to, you know, get you a job. Oh, okay. Or they guarantee you an interview, Hmm. which, you know, I think they had like a 97% job rate. If, you know, they give you the interview, you got the job. So I started out working on a help desk and my friend actually makes fun of me because I was actually only on the tier one help desk technically for like two weeks. While I was in school, I worked in a retail store they called me the Apple specialist because I was trained in like helping customers in the store, you know, fix like simple things in their Apple computers. You know, a lot of people didn't know the difference between Windows and Apple uh, Mac OS. And they're like, I don't know how to do anything on here. Wait, sorry. You were in a retail, what kind of retail store that had Apple computers? It was a military exchange. Okay. And so a lot of people had never seen Apple before, I guess. I don't know. But it was a lot of simple stuff like, hey, how do I open my email? How do I get to the internet? Really simple questions. Yeah, I'm trying to paint the picture because you said retail store and then you said Apple products. So I was trying to make the connection there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, the company that I worked for was a marketing company technically, but they were licensed by Apple to sell Apple products at other stores. So the display in the store kind of looked like an Apple store, Mm. but it was a regular, you know, like the military exchanges or have like everything and they're like department stores. I see. So it was in with the other computers and like the TVs and that kind of section. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. But that's important because when I was at my interview, 
they were like, okay, oh, I see you know Apple. So I was like, yeah, I'm pretty good with them. They were like, okay, save that for later. Two weeks into my training, I get a call from the recruiter who was like, well, you know, there's an opening on the Mac team. So we're going to put you on that because you have Apple experience. It's uh, you know an extra dollar an hour. Mac team? Mac team, yeah. M-A-C. Oh, Mac team, okay. <laughs> Mac team, yeah. So I stayed in the training class. They did five weeks of training because it was on a military network. And they want you to know the naming conventions and like, you know, the terminology for the military networks and how everything works. So it was good training. Hmm. And so I start my first day on the Mac team and <laughs> I see nothing but Windows computers and everything. <laughs> and, and I go to my supervisor and I'm like, hey, where are all the Apple computers at? And he's like, who told you there's there's no Apple on military networks? I was like, well, that's why I'm here. And I found out that Mac team meant move add changes. Hilarious. <laughs> I was wondering, I was like, oh, the military had Apple computers internally? Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Let me go along with it. <laughs> nice. So he kind of, he was a great supervisor. He really helped us out. And he actually pushed me when he found out that I was interested in security. I worked really hard to learn my job there, which was basically like uh, processing new users in Active Directory, um, mm -hmm. email boxes in exchange, creating and changing names of people and stuff like that. Really simple stuff. And he pushed me towards working on what they called IA mitigation, which was basically like patch management. But it was a step up for me in pay and was a promotion. So I switched contracts to go to that place. And it was kind of cool because it was my first real look at, you know, that they would take scans of the inventory of computers, you know, and they would switch site you were at, you know, each week or whatever. And they would give you a list of machines and they would say, okay, it failed for this, it failed for that. You know, Java needs updated or, you know. Internet Explorer needs updated, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I remoted into machines and did manual patches. And I was like, well, is this security? And they're like, yeah, this is really important because the patches are for vulnerabilities. And, you know, I had taken a couple security classes, so I knew the terminology, but I never, I guess I never understood the big picture of how everything was interconnected until I got there. I was like, yeah, vulnerabilities are released and they patch them and so they can't be exploited by hackers, you know. And this was still when I was like, oh, hackers are bad people, <laughs> you know, which I kind of feel silly for thinking. But that's also, you know, that's something that I, I wrote about, too, is like the way the media treats hackers is like hackers are always bad. So mm -hmm. that's what I believed back then. Mm -hmm. And I feel bad about it now. Because I was a veteran, I signed up for a mentorship program. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm in this entry-level security job and I want to move up. And they were like, well, you don't really know anything. And that was when I first got my five-year plan from this mentorship program. Like, And this is what I, I write about on my website, too, is, you know, they advised me that I go become a sysadmin mm. and then go become a network administration and then go do like system engineering and learn all the different technical aspects of IT before I tried to get a security job. because what they told me all the time was, you know, how can you protect something if you don't understand it? You know, and it went back to my military training was, how can I fix something if I don't understand how it works? Yeah. So that kind of resonated in with me. And I was like, okay, <laughs> the negative part of contract work is that 
sometimes contracts can end abruptly. Mm. And I got told by the, my supervisor, hey, in a couple of weeks, contract's over. So I kind of scrambled around and I was lucky to find another job. And I ended up working on another military contract as a system administrator. Okay. So let me pause for a second. When did you know you wanted to do security versus just regular IT? When I was in school and I took my first security class, we watched a video about Stuxnet, mm. <laughs> which was, I think, I think it was semantic researchers. Yes. Mm -hmm. That first wrote the white paper about it. Yeah. And that had just come out and, you know, we watched a, a short video about it. And the way my teacher talked about it was like, this is how powerful it is that, you know, that state actors are using it against other states. Mm -hmm. This is how complex it can be. And I was just kind of blown away in awe of how powerful it was. And that's when I kind of decided I wanted to do it, but, you know, I didn't know how to get there. And as good as the school was to getting you a job, they weren't good at pointing you in the right direction for everything. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had to learn, like I got my A plus out of school yeah. because that's what they told me to get. And then I got my sec plus because it was required for my help desk job. Oh, was it? Yeah. They, something came down and they're like, yeah, everyone's got to get it in six months, which for me, it was easy because I was, you know, taking the classes while I was starting to work there, finishing mm -hmm. my bachelor's degree. So I got that. And so you saw the video about Stuxnet. Mm -hmm. And what role did you see yourself playing in security? Back then, I really wasn't sure what role I wanted to do. But there was something that just drew me into wanting to protect and help people. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, my experience was everybody gets those spam emails from the FBI found your lottery winnings or a Nigerian prince right. wants to give you money. You know, and I'd seen those and, you know, I'd known some people that had lost, you know, like a hundred bucks or 50 bucks, like small amount of money. But I knew people that had lost some money to scammers who got a spam email and thought it was real. So I was like, you know, I want to help people. I want to protect people. I've always been drawn to helping people. Even before the military? Even before the military. Yeah. Okay. I volunteered when I was a teenager at uh, old folks homes and you know, did dinners, you know, made dinners and stuff and then would sit down and talk to them. And I just like being nice to people and helping people out. I think that's an important trait in the information security field to have that willingness to go the extra mile to help folks. Mm -hmm. What did you say? Yeah, it's definitely important. There's two mindsets to it. You know, there's the mindset of, you know, like doing this job will probably make me some money. And, you know, I think that's okay. But then there's the people that, you know, I find this really interesting and this is what my passion is and I'm helping people and I respect that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I feel. Okay. Definitely. Cool. So you got the sysadmin job now mm -hmm. and you're working that, but you're still on track. You're still trying to get into the InfoSec field. So mm -hmm. yeah, walk us back through that. When I was a sysad, I learned a lot about VMware and virtual technology and I actually interviewed for a junior a cybersecurity analyst position, I think it was. Okay. And that was my first rejection. Mm. That was the job that I was talking about on Twitter the other day where they told me in my rejection, well, how come you don't have a CISSP yet? And I was like, well, you know, I just graduated like a little bit ago. Like, you know, I'm still learning technology and stuff. And they're like, well, you don't have passion for security if you don't have your CISSP. And I was like, what are you talking about? Wow. <laughs> you know, 
So it kind of threw me off a little bit. And thankfully, I had the mentor. And basically, over the next a few years, I worked as a sysad and then my contract ended and I worked as a network administrator and then I got promoted there to system engineer. Mm-hmm. Again, working on virtual technology, Cisco routers, Juniper routers and switches and firewalls and VPNs. But I did something there that my mentor told me to do. Hmm. They were doing a, a major upgrade to the firewalls and nobody wanted to do it. And I was like, why not? This is awesome. I want to do it. I volunteered and I stepped up and I said, you know what? I want to learn security stuff. Firewalls are part of security. Let me do it. Right. And my boss was like, yeah, sure. No problem. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from the installers that came to do the installation and showed me how to configure everything and the networking knowledge, the sysad knowledge, and then the drive to learn new stuff and volunteer to learn new stuff is one of the things that when I eventually got into the security role that I have now, it's something that they they told me afterwards that they were attracted to from my interview, that they could see the passion in my eye when I was talking about volunteering for that job, to do that role at that particular job. And that was in a network operations center. Mm-hmm. So I got to do a little bit of everything. It was really exciting. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, holistic view. So... Did you end up going transitioning to security at the same company or uh, a different company altogether? A uh, different company altogether. Pretty much with the contract work that I've been doing my whole career, mm-hmm. it's not like loyalty isn't necessarily rewarded with you know more pay or opportunities. So you know I, I joke sometimes that I'm a patriotic mercenary because <laughs> you know I'll, I'll jump to the next highest paycheck you know or more responsibilities or you know. <laughs> the role that I want to do, like security. Well, that's how it is, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you want to level up, if your employer is not willing, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but, you know, to level up, some, sometimes you just have to change jobs. Yeah, exactly. Right, it's just the fact of life, you know? Mm-hmm. Hopefully your employer will see, there's a number of reasons why you couldn't. Either you hit a ceiling or whatever, you know, competition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's because contracts are contracts. Mm-hmm. They don't get any more money if you grow your skills. Right. So they're not going to pay you anymore. And I understand the business side of it. You know, I don't want to knock anybody or anything like that. But, you know, it is what it is. So you got to do what's best for you. And that's what my bosses and my supervisors have always told me when, you know, contract ended and I'm like, well, you know, I'm not going to re-up. I'm going to go somewhere else. They all understand. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so how did you find this mentor? I mean, this seems like this mentor was really pivotal in your career. Is it easy to find or, you know, walk us through that a little bit? Well, there's a company called ACP that does mentorship for veterans in certain fields. And I signed up for that being a veteran. And the woman that was assigned to me, I believe was not a CISO, but underneath the CISO for a major hospital hospital wing or whatever, mm-hmm. a group of buildings that she was in charge of. And she was similar to how I ended up in security, where, you know, she told me her story was very similar. She was sysad network. And she's like, to me, it was the best way to build your well-rounded resume. And that's what worked for me is what, you know, she told me back then. And I was like, okay, it sounds like a lot of hard work, but <laughs> eventually it paid off for me too. Right. And it, it didn't just happen either. I applied for a lot of different jobs and I even interviewed for a handful of them. There was that one that I mentioned where I kind of got laughed at and then there was another 
where the guy told me, like literally looked at my resume, he's like, you have nothing here that tells me security. Like you need to work a security job to get a security job with me. Wow. I was like, okay. <laughs> but I just, you know, I went home again to my very supportive family mm -hmm. and they were like, you know, you, you'll get the next one. Mm -hmm. And the one that I actually did get, the recruiter told me at first that you don't, there's somebody else that they really like that's more experienced than you that they're going to go for. But something happened with that candidate. And seven months after my first interview, because there were three in the process, okay. I got a call from the recruiter and he's like, yeah, you know, things fell through with that other guy. They want to talk to you again to see if you're still interested. Oh, wow. And I was like, heck yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So I ended up doing the most interesting interview ever with the senior manager. He invited me to a pool hall. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, and shorts are optional. And I'm like, what do you mean shorts are optional? I mean, you know, I'm a traditional guy. Every interview I've ever gone to, I've always been, you know, suit, jacket, tie, mm. everything, you know. Okay. And something else I believe in the first day on the, on the new job, I always dress my best clothing too yeah. until I get a feel for what the dress code is in the job. And then, you know, I dress down. Right. But uh, he was like, wear shorts. I was like, what are you talking about? Shorts. <laughs> so I put on, you know, a nice shirt and shorts and I met him, played pool with him. Is it during the day? It was during the evening. Okay. And it was a good, fun experience. It kind of relaxed me a little bit. And I ended up beating him all three games that we played. <laughs> and during the third game, he even made the joke. He's like, yeah, you know, um, HR said, I can't judge you on how good you play pool for this job. So you don't have to beat me. And I kind of felt bad. I was like, should I let him win? And he's like, "Seriously, <laughs> don't let me win on purpose. But, you know, you don't have to win to get the job. Wow. <laughs> it's like, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was fun. Okay. And is he asking you a technical question or like he's trying to basically get a feel for you at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, I guess his purpose behind it was he was asking me technical questions, you know, like just shooting them out there while I'm shooting. Wow. And I actually stopped a couple of times to look at him and think about the answer. He's like, no, you got to play while you're answering the question. It's how <laughs> I test how you work under fire, you know, under pressure. Wow. And I was like, that's a really cool technique, you know? So I ended up uh, impressing him enough that he offered me the job. And what I do is mostly, I do a lot of system administration work, which is kind of why they were attracted to me as a candidate, mm -hmm. a little bit of networking work. But then I'm a consultant, so we work with the customer on site and advise them on policy. And I'm very much more hands-on than a traditional consultant where we do the policy changes after we give the advice about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen consultant jobs that are hacker jobs. I've seen consultant jobs that are software engineer jobs. So <laughs> saying I'm a consultant is different, but we walk there, we, we meet with the customer, we give them advice about policy. We say, you know, hey, this product is good. That product is good for this or that. But we don't try to push them any certain way. We let them make the decision and then we go and implement it. I see. Implement security at the organization. Mm -hmm. Security appliances, everything from endpoint, firewall and antivirus to uh, like web gateway antivirus and proxy and stuff like that. Okay. And then when you mention policies, you mean like uh, security policies? Well, like policies on the appliances, like 
which file types to ban from the network and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Specific configurations. Exactly. Configuration policy. Gotcha. Uh, they always refer to it as policy. So yeah, it's engaging. It's fun. I'm finally in security. And I still didn't know anything about like the hacker world or anything like that, which sounds kind of funny. And my friends, you know, almost make fun of me for it. But I was kind of oblivious to it. Like I was aware of breaches. I was aware of, you know, there are hackers that can exploit vulnerabilities and stuff. But it wasn't until a coworker of mine said, hey, you know, you should check this out. You seem to be a smart guy. Are you interested in hacking? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, well, you know, I always do the Vulnhub stuff and it's fun. And I was like, no, nah, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> so uh, he actually spun up a VM and showed me one of these Vulnhub things. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And so that's how I got started with the learn to hack stuff. I read a lot of other people's blogs and people don't talk about their failures. People don't talk about when they were learning. Yeah. They always say, well, you know, here I am now as a professional bug bounty hunter and I found this cross-site scripting on the site and this is how I found it and blah, blah, blah. But they don't go about explaining like, hey, you know, this is what SQL injection is and this is why it works. And hey, you know, I tried this and it didn't work. So then I tried that and it didn't work. So then I studied some more and then figured out how it worked, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's kind of what I wanted to capture when I first started because I was extremely intimidated. The imposter syndrome is a common phrase that I use because here I was in a security role and I was talking to people, you know, when I first started going online on, on InfoSec Twitter and Reddit and stuff. And mm. these people seemed way smarter than me but they couldn't get jobs in security. And I was like, man, you know, like, <laughs> I feel like an imposter, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's a very real thing. What do you recommend to folks who are facing imposter syndrome? Well, what I see a lot online is people say, look, you know, you know a lot about what you know. And, you know, it's not a clear cut Venn diagram where the elite people know everything in the middle and you only know what you know. It's more of like a bunch of circles around you where people are exposed to things and they know those things and you're exposed to what you're exposed to and you know that. Everybody doesn't know everything. And that's why, you know, most security teams are teams mm -hmm. because you have to have a software engineer specialist. You have to, you know, that can review code for security holes. Then you got to have a network security specialist that knows TCP IP and everything to make sure that firewalls are blocking what they're supposed to be blocking. And then, you know, you got to have your social engineer to make sure that your users are trained and aware of what dangers there are and not letting anybody walk around the building. You got to have a team of people that specialize in what they specialize. Yeah. Let me ask you, do you have any interesting war stories throughout your times, either as a sysadmin or in your infosec job? I was trying to come up with one because I knew you'd ask. But uh, <laughs> probably the most interesting things that happened to me was when I was a fire alarm technician, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. But uh, mm -hmm. my boss would often forget to let the sites know that we were showing up for inspections or for work. Oh, man. Oh, boy. And at first, I would just go back to the home office and they would yell at, go back there and do your job, you know? <laughs> so I got really good at flashing the badge 
that they gave us, you know, hey, I'm from such and such company. Here's my ID. I'm supposed to be inspecting your building right now. Do you want to violate fire code? Because, you know, I can talk to the fire marshal. He can come down here right now and put you out of business, you know. And I scared some receptionists and some security <laughs> people even. There were some people that got so scared they would give me, like, the keys to the kingdom. Oh, boy. And give me, you know, just walk around the building free reign. And, you know, we're talking, like, I did hospitals and schools. I got to watch somebody have shoulder surgery once. Wow. Because I was supposed to do fire alarm inspection in the surgical wing. And all the smoke detectors, you know, I had to check them and stuff. And I'm all dressed out in scrubs. And I stopped because I saw, hey, what are they doing over there? And somebody literally said, oh, he must be one of the new residents. Uh, yeah, they're the doctor <laughs> such and such is finishing his surgery. Yeah, you can go in there and you can stand over here and watch in, in the viewing or the viewing uh, wall. That's hilarious. It's like, okay. <laughs> so I sat there for like a half hour while he was finishing up the surgery because I was fascinated by it. You know, I have what I call a scientific mind where like different, like how things work fascinate me you know, like how the human body works or, you know, so mm -hmm. another hobby of mine is studying scientific stuff too. So I sat there and I watched it and everyone thought I was a resident, you know, new to the hospital. <laughs> so, That's so funny. Um, actually, I walked in afterwards and, you know, nobody even looked at me twice and I just did my fire inspection. And I checked the alarms and stuff and walked out. And, you know, it, it was amazing. And so, you know, I get into the infosex scene and I see that, you know, you can make that alone into a living. <laughs> Yeah. as a social engineer and i'm like man you know I, I, i'd like to do that one day because i think i'd be really good at it nice well we'll look forward to the next chapter in your security career <laughs> thanks i think that would be kind of interesting so is there anything in particular you want to say about your website i'd like to say that i'm going to be writing about the different security roles everyone talks about you know the hacker role or the blue team role red team oh yeah but you know i want to write a comprehensive guide to, hey, you know, there's risk management, there's compliance, there's policy makers, yeah. there's, you know, user training that is extremely important because the phrase we've all heard is everybody's responsible for security. Yeah. But it's true, you know, there's a big difference. I see people, uh, social engineers on Twitter talk about, all, I see people on Twitter all the time say like, hey, you know, I'm on a social engineering gig and security stopped me right before I put the USB in to, you know, put malware in a computer or the vice versa where, yeah, security stopped me and I just told them I was IT working. Well, they got to know that they should stop everybody, you know, if they don't know who you are. So, you know, I want to write more about the different aspects and roles of security. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I want to do more hacking as a hobby, but I'm not a coder. I'm not technical enough to do web application hacking or anything like that right now but i do it for fun mm -hmm. but i think my career focus is more policy from the sea level down and the technical side instead of doing the actual penetration testing or stuff like that so i've been researching that for personal reasons but i want to write about that to inspire other people that may not want to be hackers specifically, but want to still work in security. There's a lot of different roles that you can do. Yeah. I mean, the way I put it to people is uh, there's builders and breakers. So uh -huh. oftentimes companies usually hire or need the builders. So, you know, there's different mindsets. And then of course, there's the one in the middle, which is like purple team, but builders and breakers. So not everyone is a breaker. We need the people to build the defensive systems. So 
I mean, given your experience, for example, sysadmin is the builder uh-huh. by default. So, you know, there's plenty of work to do as a builder in security. So, John, any parting advice for folks looking to get into InfoSec? Well, I just want to let everybody know that if you're not of a hacking mindset, if you're not a, a breaker, there are still security roles that you can do, like being in compliance or working in policy or teaching users how to be more security minded, stopping social engineers, stopping insiders from doing the wrong thing. You know, as a CISSP, you have to learn more of the managerial stuff instead of the technical stuff. And all that fascinated me while I was doing the training for it, the separation of duties, the making sure that there's two people doing all the duties so that, you know, one person can't get away with insider stuff. That kind of stuff, that kind of training is what I'm fascinated in. And I plan on writing a lot about that too. Cool. I look forward to seeing some more of your writing on your website. Definitely. It's going to be a slower pace this year. That's something I ran into last year was a little bit of burnout trying to stay up late at night and wake up early in the morning so I could research and write. But I find that taking more time and writing more detailed articles seems to be more popular. So that's what I'm going to focus on this year. Well, we definitely thank you for your website. I think there's a lot of really good, useful information there for folks new or old to information security. But I think it's really great that you have your website out there and it's a good service. So keep it up. Thank you very much. And once again, it's an honor to be on your show. I really like it a lot. Oh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you on. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.